What is up, Internet? Welcome to Self-Defense Small Angles, Season 2, Episode 3. This week on the show, we have Maggie Aiken. She is a ex-Mormon who comes on the show and shares a bunch of information on the new mission that she's pumping out there, trying to talk about things like cults and consent and all of the craziness she experienced growing up in the Mormon quote-unquote cult as she calls it so i highly recommend this episode it is phenomenal an interesting take on some religious views but also there's a bunch of overlapping self-defense information in here every time she talked about this and that i'd link it to something else that really applies to self-protection kind of in general don't forget to follow her on her tiktok it's mentioned at the end of the show and in her bonus content on patreon.com slash randy king live she tells us a story of where she was followed and what she did in that situation in her car very good story very interesting Good take. I really liked it. This was a very fun episode. I learned a lot of things about Mormons and their culture, and I'm really glad that people like Maggie have escaped that place and are talking about it openly. Don't forget, if you want to hire me for any event, whether it's public speaking or running a seminar or doing a lunch and learn with your business or your gym or your organization, get a hold of me on any social media or just jump over to www.randykinglive.com and send us an email and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Let's get to the show. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Self-Defense from All Angles, Season 2. We made it Season 2. Today, I am very excited for our guest. I'm always very excited. I'm an excitable person. But I'm really excited to chat with Maggie today about her experiences and all the things she's been focusing on. So Maggie and I met a while ago. And then I've been following her on TikTok, actually. And TikTok is becoming one of the more populous areas where I'm starting to draw talent from because a lot of people are on there doing short-form content. And Maggie's journey really jumped out to me as something I think we need to talk about more this kind of links back to the only god protects episode of season one and so if you want to check out more stuff on this you can listen to the episode with dag from season one but anyways going forward here maggie why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself uh yeah so i am an ex-mormon uh, i'm also neurodivergent i have adhd which does kind of play a part in in things as well i left the mormon church in 2015 so i've been out about eight years now i have a very uh, decent presence on tiktok kind of going over ex-Mormonism and cults and, and kind of the thought control and basically learning how to have a life past a cult. Be my main focus today. So straight out the gate here, and you're pretty open about this, you're classifying pretty much Mormonism as a cult. Yes. Yes. And, and I doing, doing the quick math on this, when I first met you, you were in still. I was, yeah. I, I was actually before I got married too in the in the church. So life is drastically different since we met. So yeah, wow. This is this is gonna be a fascinating episode. I'm so excited. This season has been so cool so far. I'm just super pumped about everyone I'm talking to. So you mentioned that you are neurodivergent. Why why does that make a difference in this journey? Because I find a lot in Mormonism, they don't really, I guess, validate being neurodivergent, there's a lot of, especially with people who, you know, are more like, I would say, handicapped, severely handicapped. I don't know if that's the right word to use nowadays, but there's a lot of like rumors about like the pre-mortal existence that they like escorted angels 
to with Satan. There's like a whole like um, story behind that before we all came to Earth, and that people who were severely handicapped escorted Satan and his angels to his kind of place of living so that they weren't able to come to earth and gain a body and all that very like ableist attitudes and and thoughts so yeah, yeah. no very, sh- very harmful no sh- <laughs> I so let's just really preface this i am not by any stretch a religious guy i got kicked out of catholic school in grade five so <laughs> like that's that's as deep as it goes i know like the pop culture references but i don't know any depth of this that <laughs> That story alone just shows like some of the issues there. And like you said, it's very ableist trying to explain the world, why people are like this and why it's unfair. So all of a sudden they were evil to start off with. It had to be. That's why they're like this. That's such a a wild thing. Yeah, they're very, very much in denial. And I think I think it's also the way that the past generations were taught to like boomers, like when you tell them you have ADHD, it's like, oh, no, you don't. You just have this or everybody's a little ADHD, like things like that. I get that. I also have the the ADHD. And uh, there's a reason why I work for myself and have not been employed by anybody else in so long is because I I can't do what I have to work on my own. Right. So you left in 2015. What was the straw that broke the camel's back? What was the the reason that got you out of there? Honestly, it was my abusive marriage. I was kind of at a point where I was kind of done with everything, all the bullshit. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to lie. I actually started smoking weed during my marriage, which also kind of helped me open my mind a little bit and kind of realizing that the church was all bullshit. And just after that, everything just started to like unfold and untangle. And I realized like, wow, this is all just a bunch of crock. And the abuse of marriage just kind of was just like, hey, we're done with everything. I need to start this new life because this is not the life for me. So number one, good for you. You left literally everything, a marriage and uh, your group. So that's super hard to do. So congratulations to you. you. Um, Was the church okay with the abuse in the marriage? Or was it like, was it allowed? Did you have to hide it? What was going on there? They didn't know. It wasn't physical, thank goodness. But there were times when I kind of wish it was because then I feel like I wouldn't have wasted so much time not knowing that I was being abused. And of course, like he was in denial for a little bit too. But yeah, they didn't they didn't know about it. I kept it a secret because, you know, I didn't want him to get all riled up and then just exacerbate the abuse. So Right. And that's a thing, right? Like you said something kind of interesting and I think I just want to walk it out because it could be taken the wrong way and I don't want right. it to be, which is, you know, you kind of wish the abuse was physical and the reason why you, I would assume you're saying something like that, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but the reason I assume you say something like that is because people can't see mental injuries and you can justify exactly. like, oh, it wasn't that bad or whatever, right? People are always talking about physical injuries because you can see them. But I know people that have been way more destroyed by a breakup than they ever were a broken arm. But we tend to over-prioritize physical injuries as opposed to these emotional or mental injuries. And that's that's crazy. And most good predators, not to classify your ex-husband in that, but most good predators know that manipulation is easier than physical force, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Especially when you're like in court, they, they always want proof, right? Well, we right. can't really prove yeah. mental, verbal, emotional abuse, so. I can't show you that I used to think I was a person and now I don't think I'm a person, right? Yeah. Like there's no way <laughs> to show that in, in court. Exactly. So then you left the church and so you did your marriage and, and you left the church at the same time, kind of in the same area. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we separated, I lived on my own for a bit and then we were officially divorced a year later. Right. How long were you married for? Two years. So you leave the church, you leave your husband. I'm assuming your family's in the church as well. So you've effectively said, 
fucking life redo. We're we're out. We're we're, changed, we're rolling the dice. We're changing this shit up. How was that? It was terrifying. Sure. Um, yeah. especially being a woman. You know, the the man is always the priesthood holder and the lead of the house. I always had someone taking care of me. And okay. so going out into the real world, I had no knowledge of what the real world was. Um, and so, yeah, it was terrifying, exciting, but terrifying. Luckily, I did have a couple friends that were very supportive and they did help me move and, and all that stuff. But and I'm to this day, like I'm still learning things about the real world. So it's it's definitely a long, long path out. I did tell my mom back in 2015, I felt like she was the only person I could talk to. I knew she was going to take it hard that I was leaving the church, but she was the only person I really told. And then um, she spread the word to the family. So family gossip chain is often faster than the internet. It's pretty crazy how quick information goes through. (laughs) So I really want to pick at this real world versus the experience you had. You mentioned that you said precept, the person who's in charge of the house, you were always taken care of. So women have a very secondary role in the church. Yes, we are second-class citizens, you could say. Right. In the church. Priesthood holder is always the the head. Interesting. That kind of mindset, it almost perpetuates like a, a victim mentality of if they don't train you to survive on your own, the odds of you leaving to survive on your own become less. And even when people do, they have a lot of trouble with it. Exactly. And that's that's exactly what the church does. They, they make leaving as this like big scary thing. Like, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? You, you'll never find happiness outside of the church. They, they always like to say wickedness was never happiness. It's a very common quote within the church. So yeah, there's a lot of fear tactics when trying to leave. This is why I think like why the show is called Self-Defense from All Angles is because I want to talk to people who've experienced this kind of stuff. Like there's no self-defense class where it's like, and this is how it's a cult and here's what you should avoid, right? Like, but these are people yourself and others are experiencing real physical, emotional, psychological violence in these groups. But it's seen because it's under the umbrella of God, it's allowed or traditional or whatever. So you left, you're on your own. What was like the first, holy shit, things are different. Like, what was that first moment? Honestly, like little things like getting a credit card. I had <laughs> no idea how to get a credit card, what what the process was. I had my friend help me and like looking back and I'm like, man, that was like so easy. Why was I like so scared? But something as simple as that, like I said, just always being taken care of things were always, you know, I want to say everything was done for me, but in, in those aspects of life, someone was always there to take care of that. So right. I just had to be the good wife and support my priesthood leaders. Jeez. All right. So you're out. You're starting to learn how to live on your own. When did you start deciding uh, speaking out against the church? Honestly, it was probably only like two to three years ago. Figured there was like a little bit of a gap of like, figure out who you are, figure out what a credit card is and how that works. And then getting getting to like, wait a minute, these people fucked me over straight up. They ruined me as an adult. I, I kind of knew and felt that it was all BS, right. but then, you know, a couple of years passed and I actually started looking into these things and I looked at the history and, you know, contradictory statements that were made by the church. And I was like, wow, like it, it was all like nails in the coffin for me, Yeah, like confirming my decision and that I made the right decision. That's wild. Did you decide to speak out against the church so people like you who left had someone to be supported by? Or were you trying to make sure nobody else joined? Or was it both? Because I know a lot of your content, it's Exmo you put on there, which is ex-Mormon. What was the design? Like, other than maybe it could have started just venting, but like, what was the design? It's for both. Just being a support system for anyone who's thinking about leaving or has left and is still deconstructing. Kind of for anybody or anybody who is just curious about cults and and thought control and things like that. Right. The dangers, dangers of that. 
you have some followers, you're making a uh, name for yourself in this community. And I love, it seems like there's endless content for you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you can talk about so much stuff and then there's people rallying against you because they're in the community still. In your head, have you drawn a line in the sand of you're either a Mormon and you're my enemy and I'm trying to speak against you or you're out? Is there like any people that are still in that you're like, you know, they're like, there's something called red letter Christians, right? Where they only follow like certain, is there some people in there where you're like, yeah, they follow, but they're still okay people. Or is it just, if you're in that group, I can't associate with you. Yeah. Like I'm open to anybody that wants to learn. I don't have a tolerance for trolls or people who want to be dishonest and not have a civil conversation. Those kinds of people I, I try to not uh, engage with, but anybody, any spectrum, if they, as long as they're respectful and open to learning, I, I will share my information. So, so you are rallying against this. What is your, what is your mission here? What are you trying to tell people? What are you trying to accomplish? To teach people that you can be a good person without needing religion. You can live a fulfilling life without religion. Teaching people how to live an authentic life and being able to think critically. Mm -hmm. And always, always question things. I think critical thinking is definitely one of the things that's lacking the most. We're specifically speaking about your experience in Mormonism, but this can go to martial arts schools. This can go to like sports groups. This can go to the Boy Scouts. Like there's so much cult-like behavior out there. And you're kind of rallying against, like you're taking your experience and the overlap saying like, hey, this is also cult-like behavior. So what constitutes a cult to you? So I usually like to refer to the BITE model by Stephen Hassan. BITE is the acronym for behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotion control. So anyone who's listening, if you want to look that up, it'll kind of give you the criteria of what is expected if you're wanting to know if your high demand religion is a cult, whatever system is a cult. Can you walk us through those stages a little bit? Like, so, sure. what, so B, behavior control. So in terms of Mormonism, we're very set on purity culture, modesty, you know, no sex, or as they like to say, petting before marriage. Um, you're not allowed to go to dances until you're 14. You're not allowed to date till you're 16. And then when you are of age, you're encouraged to date only members of the church so that you can marry them in the temple when the time comes, because only worthy members of the church are allowed to enter the temple. And you're also, they make it a point to make sure that your engagement is short and that you get married right away and you start having children. Keep the indoctrination going. Sure, yeah, get that population up. Yep, makes sense. Yep. Attending all of your church meetings and activities, there's always something going on. You know, like we have church meetings on Sundays. Sometimes on the Sunday night, there'll be this youth lesson, which is called a fireside that they'll teach. Um, there's always like a youth activity. There's early morning seminary, grade nine and 12 kids go to before school. There's also uh, garments, which is after you are endowed in the temple and get married in the temple, you wear what ex-Mormons like to call magic underwear. Sure. I'm definitely um, gonna I'm definitely gonna want to expand on that for sure later. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, which is supposed to act as like a protection from evil. Always making sure that you're praying and you're reading your scriptures regularly. There's um, you know, kind of a diet that you're supposed to to stick to, oh, you know, really? no coffee, no coffee, tea, drugs, alcohol. There is a rule in there that says eat meat sparingly, but honestly, I've I haven't really seen members stick to that one. There's tithing, which is 10% of your income. And that is kind of held against you when you want to go to the temple, if you want to achieve your highest exaltation, and they expect you to pay it. 
because that's your faith and devotion to God, even if that means that you can't pay your rent or bills. Wow. So it's tithing first, your needs second. Exactly. Yep. Wow. God first, always. Yeah, that's such great examples of behavior control. Mormonism is a relatively newer religion, right? Yeah, early 1800s. Early 1800s. Golden tablets, John Adams, that's the stuff. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Okay, yeah, kind of, yeah. Because <laughs> again, I'm not a very religious person, and I, I brought John mostly so I could learn as well. These are all ways they control, and I think it's important to point out before we move on to the next letter. Mm -hmm. It is when we talk self-defense, I always talk about community and how community is so important for self-defense, right? right? Community can also turn that against you. They can keep you protected from everything, right? And so I want to point out one of the things we talked about in my boundary setting course is your boundaries should dictate your community, not the other way around. So you don't, your community should not be telling you how to act, what to do, what to say, what to be. You, sh you should really pay attention as a red flag. Yep. 100%. And I just wanted to add to oh, yeah, with the uh, with the behavior control, they very much discourage individuality and uh, greatly encourage groupthink. Boys are greatly boys more than girls are extremely pressured into serving a two year mission after they graduate high school, which a mission that they have to pay for themselves. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And they're usually looked down upon if they return home early or they're looked down upon if they choose not to serve a mission. I find very interesting. And then, as I mentioned before, when you're married, the husband is the priesthood holder, head of the household. And in many scriptures, you are told that you are to submit to your husband. You can interpret that how you like. Sure. I'm sure people do <laughs> interpret how they yeah. like. But yeah, and then information control. So when there is certain information or material out there that goes against the church, the church will go to many lengths to hide it or suppress it or tell members to turn away from it because it's all quote unquote lies. Like I know when the show Big Love came out, I don't know if you've heard of that show. I have. Um, we were told not to watch it. Only church approved sources, which is funny because in my TikToks, I try to make sure that it's only church approved sources so that they can't say anything, but somehow mm. they always seem to find a way to argue it. So that's kind of like information control. Are you experiencing information control right now with your channel? Are people trying to squish it? Are they trying to... to oh, yeah. Like, what are you seeing there? Like, what are some of the tactics they're using to try to uh, take away your authority so actually i have controversy going on right now about Ooh. joseph smith and the way that he translated the golden plates joseph smith. um golden plates yes yeah <laughs> yeah so i don't know if you've seen the south park episode about mormons but <laughs> i have okay well strongly recommend so they show joseph smith translating through a hat he puts his face into a hat and that's how he translates the golden plates okay now there are a few obscure quotes that have come out um, in like random LDS magazines, but it's never been taught in the scriptures. It's never been taught regularly in like Sunday school and church meetings and whatnot. And it's only until like 10 years after the South Park episode that came out that they started being like, okay, yeah, he did do this. And now all of a sudden they're, they're open about it. But I've got so many trolls in the comments being like, that's how it's always been. What are you talking about? See this quote and this quote, but then like 90% of the comments are like, yeah, I didn't find out until South Park. So I think people are just being like dishonest and disingenuous. And I think they knew that it was never regularly taught, but they just tried to like pick and choose things to like make it sound right. I feel like rewriting history is a religious move going back as far as time, right? So yeah. no, 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 we definitely didn't mean that. Like all the things that happened with all this proof, it was different. Like look at right here. Yeah. Yep. I'm assuming yeah. South Park is not on the approved list of uh, consumption for Mormons. Definitely not. <laughs> there's swearing, there's, yeah. you know, sex and yeah. drugs and all that. Right. So yeah, big no-no for Mormons. 
Makes sense. Then we have thought control. So obviously no impure thoughts. They have thought stopping techniques. So if you're having like a negative thought or an impure thought, you know, read your scriptures or sing a hymn or, you know, leave a certain environment if you feel like the spirit has escaped from you. They also like to label other churches as evil or lacking the full truth. In fact, they they call the Catholic Church the great whore of the earth. The great whore of the earth. Yep. Damn. That's some like rapper level shade. That's pretty good. And then emotional control. So the church has this thing with not being allowed to be angry unless it is a righteous anger, which is a very common trope among Mormons to ex-Mormons like, man, ex-Mormons are so angry and bitter and, you know, they, they can leave the church, but they can't leave it alone. Yet they're the ones harassing us and sending missionaries our way, but right. I digress. There's this constant fear instilled into members, you know, the consequences of leaving or questioning their leaders because it can result in, in your salvation and being sent to outer darkness, which is like, Worse than hell, apparently. It's like below. Oh, below wow. Hell. Yeah. So technically that's where I'm going because I've rejected the, the truth. So Right. So outer darkness for you. <laughs> yeah. And they also try to, they, they really try to paint Exmos in a very bad light, like telling them that they've lost the light in their eyes or that ex-Mormons just want to sin. They Like they think they know the reasons why we leave, not because of the history or because, you know, it's actually false. But they come up with all these reasons. Some families will shun or reject their family members after they leave. I find this is more common in Jehovah's Witnesses, but I have heard it happen in in Mormon spheres as well. They also have emotion stopping techniques. They have a lot of toxic positivity. And even and when you even when you feel like you're doing the right thing, you're doing everything you can, you're doing uh, you're still the one at fault if something is if something is going wrong in your life, because you're obviously not doing something correctly, or, you know, you're not reading your scriptures or praying enough or whatever the the excuse is. And they also expect you to confess your sins to your bishop, someone that is, has received little to no training. It was actually a huge problem uh, within the past five or 10 years where bishops were actually asking minors really inappropriate questions about that. And we had a, a gentleman named Sam Young. He was actually excommunicated for standing up for the children that were being asked these inappropriate questions. Wow. Yeah. And so now the church to, you know, as as some kind of damage control are now allowing um, kids to have one adult with them present when they're in the office with the bishop. Good, I I guess, for the people, for the kids that are stuck, right? It's something. I find this interesting. It almost feels like spiritual victim blaming. Like you didn't do enough things for God. So of course, bad things are going to happen to you if you only did this things for God, then these bad things wouldn't happen to you. Yep. Or it'll be like, oh, it's a test. God's testing you. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, God (laughs) gives his uh, strongest warriors the hardest battles or whatever. Yeah. Malarkey that's out there. God would never give you something more than you couldn't handle. Yeah. Just the one I hate the most. (laughs) Nobody ever dies. That makes sense. I love the bite model. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's a great way for people to identify this. And I can't stress this enough. Please put this ruler to your martial arts gym. Like if they're making you not train anywhere else, if you're not allowed to go to other seminars, if you're not allowed to do other stuff, if you're not allowed to whatever, these are all cult-like behaviors. If the person who's in charge doesn't let you look up their credentials, like that that stuff's bad. Con artists use title and costume more than any other tools to gain respect from people. So dressing up in Japanese pajamas and wearing a black belt will trick a lot of people, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a good point. And I find like if your church is true, it shouldn't matter where the member goes. It shouldn't matter what information comes up. You know, don't be so insecure. 
Right. Exactly. You have the truth. Let me go hear the lies and come on back. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. Why are you so threatened? Doth protest too much. Exactly. Consent. You talk a lot about consent. You talk mm -hmm. a ton about it. And I think this is a super important topic because this is where you see generational gaps so much is in uh, levels of consent, what's allowed, what's not allowed, definitions of assault, definitions of abuse, etc. Right. So when we go up to the older generations, because they had it harder, they expect everybody have to suffer the same way they did. And there doesn't seem to be any improvement. And I know you talk a lot about consent in this. and I'd really like to spend some time here. Let's start with was consent even an option when you were in the church? Like, was there places it was there or where did it really stand out that you weren't allowed to make informed consent on your decisions? So um, right away when you're baptized, the church views the eight years old as the age of accountability. And um, so you basically have this interview with your bishop to see if you're worthy and ready to be baptized. And you basically sign this contract that says you're going to keep this and this covenant with God. You're going to keep the commandments endure to the end, all of these things, not realizing that this is like a part of your exaltation and your salvation. You are literally like signing your eternity away right. at the age of eight when you still believe in things like Santa Claus and the tooth fairy. Yeah. Um, my opinion you should be making this decision when you're of age, preferably when you're an adult or when yeah. your brain is developed. But then of course people would never join. And I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. So yeah, like right away when you first join the church, I don't think it's very uh, informed consent. They tell you like, yeah, you make these covenants, but they don't say what the consequences are if you don't keep these covenants. Right. And then of course, when you're married, while submitting to your husband, my husband wasn't a total, total dick about it. There were times when he would want it and I didn't mm -hmm. and we would get into a lot of fights about it and so sometimes there would be times when I would just let it happen because I just wanted to stop fighting I wanted him to shut up about it things like that and it even happened after I left the church because you know I was still learning what this real world was I was just befriending people that would give me the time of day and I would enter a relationship with someone um, where more or less the same thing happened because I just wanted to be accepted right. and liked. And so it can it really like fucks you up yeah. throughout your life and after. Well, conditioning goes so deep, right? Make it even something less intense, right? Like you can know, don't eat your favorite snack because you're overweight, but your conditioning is still going to make you eat that snack, whether you logically think to or not, right? Yeah. So when you get programmed from an age where you believe in Santa Claus and Easter Bunny and, you know, all things are feasible at this point in time, right? The world is magical. When it's conditioned then at such a young age and every single person you see is following these rules, at least putting up the appearance of following these rules, it's going to take a minute to, like, get to a place where it's okay for you to set up and set those boundaries. And, and it sounds like, from what I'm hearing is most of the work of the church, at least for the women, was degrading boundaries and teaching them they really didn't have any when it came to the church or their husband, et cetera. Yep. You, it's what the church believes, what God wants you to do, what the leaders want you to do. Yep. So now you're talking about consent. What areas of consent are you focusing on the most right now? That's something that I'm, I'm still like learning and unfolding, but definitely like anticipatory and proactive boundaries I'm kind of learning to establish. Right especially going through all of these past experiences. Like now I know what I don't want. Sure. Yeah. And so 
I stay away from those things. And I don't know, feeling, I guess, also trying to learn how to regulate my central nervous system as well has really helped me too. Being like, hey, I don't feel right in this situation. This is probably not the best thing for me. That's one thing I regret in my life is not listening to my gut because my gut has been right probably 95% of the time. I hear that Um, time and time again. Like that's, so two things you said there that we talk about in all the courses. Number one is it's easier to discover your boundaries after they've been violated than before they're violated. When you're like, oh, I didn't like that at all. I don't want that to happen again. It's an unfortunate method, but it works. We actually weaponize in the online course. And then- the amount of people, because as you know, I work with a lot of people who have gone through horrible situations and, and et cetera. I don't just work with martial athletes. The amount of people that have told me if I want to trust my gut or, oh, I knew this person was bad or, and then bad stuff happens, right? But learn to trust your gut is such a process, especially if you've been conditioned to not trust it because you're wrong and made of sin or whatever, right? Like that's going to be a tough switch. Or when you're an anxious overthinker like me, you're like, is this just my anxiety? Is it my gut? Right. <laughs> like learning yeah. the difference between that too. And that's fair. Yeah, that's a very good point. What do you want people to know? Like what what are some of the biggest like things you really want people to know about your journey? I guess kind of takeaways from it would be if you know it's too good to be true, it probably is. Right. <laughs> And, you know, question everything, even if people around you, if there's a ton of pressure around you, always, always go with what you feel and what you think is right. Don't be, don't be so trusting. Right. <laughs> that's, that's my lesson. I think that's super important and a good one, right? Because especially if you grew up in a, like a community like that, where it's a little bit isolated. And I mean, isolated as in, you're not talking to other people, not isolated as in, not in the woods. But when you came from a place where everything was kind of taken care of for you and and then you leave and we talk about this in a, another area for like domestic abuse survivors right like you leave domestic abuse as you did but that person took care of everything right like most of the time abuser let you have a bank account they don't let you have a credit card they don't let you talk to your friends outside of their groups right these are all such common predatory tactics but in your case they were shielded behind righteousness and uh you know god etc right yeah we were doing the right thing yeah But these are the lessons that I think that's why I wanted you on the show so much is these are lessons that overlap to all aspects of personal safety is if you can recognize what the person's trying to control, how they're manipulating you, you can recognize the the game, right? Like I'm doing this because I'm isolating you. I'm the bite model. That's perfect, right? That's a great thing. I think people should take that away from here is right. If you understand, oh, they're controlling my behavior, controlling my thoughts or controlling my emotions. Like this isn't, this isn't good. And that's where we talk about, again, boundary setting is so fucking important when it comes to self-protection <laughs> for these reasons not for the bar fight but for the yeah, like yeah. <laughs> oh you're kind of jumping steps in our relationship and you're not listening to me and you know you're force teaming and like just knowing those boundary probes and limits ahead of time is going to prevent so much stuff in your case you had no choice you're born into it but yeah. for others they might have more time to figure that out you have been rallying a lot against the Mormon church specifically. I like how you talked about the tithing and where the money goes. I like that you talked about the dynamics of people in there. What do you think, as an outsider looking in, what do you think would be the most shocking thing to learn about the Mormon church for somebody who doesn't know about it? Man, there's so much. <laughs> Maybe just learning a, a Mormon's ways of manipulation you know like i mentioned before there's a lot of toxic positivity and there, there's always the common like reputation of mormons or they're always so nice and like they're always like serving that's like yeah but there's usually ulterior motives attached to that especially with missionaries like that's literally their job and they like to target the vulnerable especially people who are having like a really shitty life 
no, here's God and here's all the answers that you are having troubles with. But yeah, like, and I'm not saying like once you reject them that they're just gonna all of a sudden be mean to you. They'll probably just, you know, remove themselves from the picture. And, and you will probably notice that with members when you say like, no, I'm not interested. Thank you though. So just being aware of that. If, if people are being like really nice, yeah. Overly nice. Be wary, too, yeah. too good to be true, like you said earlier. Interesting that the people that the church approaches are literally the same people that human traffickers approach. They're people yeah. that are in marginalized communities or isolated and alone, and they want to give them a better life. And here's the method. One is a Bible, one is a trip, but they're trying to get them into something effectively to use them for something, whether it's spreading the word of God or other, right? Yep. All right, before we go, I'd be remiss. Tell us about the magic underwear. <laughs> so when you are worthy enough, this is usually before you either go on a mission or before you get married, uh, you get what are called your endowments taken out through the temple, which is different from the church. Anybody can visit the church, the temple, you need to be clean, worthy, and pure to enter. And there's a whole interview process that you have to go through, which includes paying your tithing. Like, are you a full tithe pair? If you're not, you ain't getting into the temple. You go through this endowment session. There's a whole, and I could go into that too. That's a whole other freaking like, you'll see it's definitely a cult <laughs> through <Sure>. the temple ceremonies. <laughs> um, but anyways, when you leave the session, you are now making the covenant to wear these garments for the rest of your life, um, which also have special significant markings on the nipples and the belly button and on the knees as well. And they're to serve as protection for the external world or Satan or <laughs> whatever. And you are not allowed to show them off. You have to make sure that you are modest and that your clothes are covering your garment. You can't adjust your garments so that they fit with your short clothes and the only times that you're allowed to take them off is i believe it's the three s's sports sex and swimming i think so basically when you're getting busy <laughs> so satan can't get you when you're swimming good to know that's a very important distinction <laughs> you're immune the water or something makes you immune to yes that. that is actually a common uh especially on missions. That's why missionaries can't go swimming. What? Seriously? Because Satan controls the water, yeah. But you don't have to wear your garments in the water? That doesn't make... Anyways, none of this makes sense to me. I know. You have to <laughs> you earn them. them. That's interesting. You have to earn the garments. Yeah. Wow. This has been such a great conversation, Maggie. Thank you so much. Maggie, watch all the people, your TikTok channel, where they can find you, ask questions, etc. My TikTok is xmomags, E-X-M-O-M-A-G-S. I do have a personal one as well, which I can share later if you want or not. <laughs> uh, the Exmore one is definitely my my main one. So yeah, feel free to follow or you know check out my content and ask any questions. Sounds good. Like I said earlier, I'm a big fan of your TikTok channel. You do very well in very short, quick videos on what's going on. That's kind of the beauty of TikTok. Yeah. My new saying is if you can't teach it on TikTok, you don't know it. If you can't get enough <laughs> nice. information in a minute, then you don't really know your subject material. Maggie, That's thank true. you so much. As all, uh, everybody just love the guests we're having this season. Check out the last one. Next episode, we have on a former drug dealer who is telling us a lot of stuff about the drug trade here in Canada self-defense issues that he had there. And it's going to be a two-parter because we talked for like two and a half hours. I was just so fascinated by the conversation. He seemed to have unlimited time because he's retired now. So look out for that one. We'll have weekly episodes coming out. Don't forget to join both of us over on patreon.com slash Live for whatever story Maggie's going to share. Thanks, everyone. And we'll hopefully talk to you next week. Thanks.